0: Welcome to the Alternative Data Podcast. Welcome to the Alternative Data Podcast, powered by Exabel. I'm Mark Fleming-Williams. In this episode, I speak to Daniel Shainer of Chimera Capital. After a career focused on the consumer sector from various viewpoints, Daniel in 2017 decided to start a consumer-focused hedge fund that would take advantage of the increasing availability of alternative data. Five years later, Chimera is now established and thriving and looking to grow further into the gaming and lodging sectors. So in this episode, I'm joined by Daniel Shayna of Chimera Capital. Thank you very much for joining today, Daniel. It's a pleasure to be here today. Thank you. Excellent. Um, so, Daniel, you work for Chimera and have spoken not in the not too distant past at an event um, extolling the joys and benefits of alternative data. So, I'm delighted to have a uh, such a, a positive a positive influence on the um, on the podcast, and looking forward to uh, looking forward to, to to chatting about it.
1: Well, I, I don't know so much about the joys, but uh, certainly the <laughs> benefits when it comes to uh, supporting investment research.
0: Excellent. Um, actually, perhaps to set the scene a little bit, perhaps the best way to begin is: Could you just um, uh, characterize Chimera Capital a little bit? How would you How would you introduce
1: it? Well, Chimera is a long short uh, equity fund focused on the consumer space, and uh, I, I suppose the reason you're having me on today is because we do use an awful lot of alternative data not only as part of our screening process uh, but also in support of the research process throughout the entirety of the process
0: fantastic cool well let us begin um as 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 i do sometimes um by going back um and if i could ask you perhaps um you've got a you've got a, a an extended experience in the in um in in the markets i'm seeing Oliver wyman at the beginning but then quite a lot of uh, of different uh uh investing experience after that um perhaps maybe begin just by just by introducing yourself as briefly as you wish and then just tell me how you first came across the concept of of alternative data.
1: Well, you know, I've been uh either consulting or investing in the consumer space throughout the entirety of my career after Oliver Wyman uh I went into several uh, private equity roles where I spent most of my time looking at consumer related stocks, retail, restaurants, uh, subscription businesses, e-commerce, et cetera. Uh, and uh, after moving over to the buy side where I spent three years as a consumer long short analyst, uh, I was really struggling to come up with five and ten year theses uh, on consumer retail stocks that I was actually uh, comfortable backing. Uh, and uh, I came across alternative data,
0: Sorry to interrupt. I set you off on a, long, on a long monologue, but actually I'm interested to dig into, into some of the things you're saying. Um, so, you, so you went from private equity into, into, um, into a hedge fund um, and it was always, so the uniting theme in your career is, is the kind of consumer retail space. What was the, what was the driver out of private equity and into, into hedge funds? Was there a specific kind of opportunity in terms of timing you thought that it's now actually it's better to be, how, how did that come about?
1: Well, I think it's a much more prosaic, perhaps embarrassing reason, which is that I spent a number of years in private equity without ever closing a deal. Uh, and uh, it sort of dawned on me that uh, in the PE space, uh, regardless of whether you have a good idea or not, somebody needs to be willing to sell you something. Mm-hmm. So after a number of years of um, you know working uh, long hours and never having an opportunity to deploy a single dollar of capital, uh, I, I sort of figured it's it's probably time to move on
0: how interesting but um so that was so we're talking bain capital 2009 to 2012 i it seems to me that every man and his dog is trying to sell someone something these days and 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 every other every other man and his dog is is a vc fund trying to buy it do you think it would have been different if you were if you were trying now or is it a um is it is it a is it a was it a specific market condition of then or do you think it's um it's kind of universal
1: well, if you think about the timing, 2009, 2010, there were certainly fewer deals getting done. But I think um, you know, part of it had to do with the fact that I was at such a large firm, which doesn't do many deals. And a lot of them uh, truly require you know, the buy-in of uh, a board and shareholders rather than uh, a particular founder who's just willing to make a move. And more and more, you know, what I try to get away from is uh, industries and sectors that I believe are becoming uh, commoditized and undifferentiated. And that while I certainly have a, a ton of respect for being Capital and private equity as a whole, it did seem to me like in the large cap space, there was more and more of a winner's curse. You know, Goldman Sachs runs some pretty tight auctions and uh, more and more it was starting to feel like if you're not proactively sourcing income with you your, your own ideas, uh, it was going to be really difficult to, you know, generate the kinds of returns that the industry had become accustomed to. Mm,
0: interesting. So you turn up at um, Attica Capital Management in July 2014. How does your mindset have to change going from a private equity background? Uh, do you do you immediately start having to look at companies, perhaps the same companies, but looking at
1: them in different ways? I had to become a lot more comfortable uh, making a decision on a particular stock without doing the level of diligence and research that I had become accustomed to. Uh, and uh, I also had to uh, adjust to the fact that in the long short space, you know, there is no such thing uh, except for the rare exceptions as a, as a 10-year fund. So no matter, uh, you know, with, with, again, with few exceptions, no matter how people market themselves, everyone is very concerned with short-term performance. So it became, uh, you know, a lot more important to me to be able to forecast not only what's going to happen in five years, but also what's going to happen uh, in three months, six months, or, or, or a year from today.
0: Hmm. So we're here in in in, in July 2014 and, and onwards. You're 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 taking a more short term and long term view on on hedge funds. And so how then does does uh, that's where I interrupted you? How then does alternative data come across your come across your radar?
1: It was really a cold call uh, from a uh, a salesperson uh, from a company that uh, uh, was a a big name in the early days of alternative data called Seven Park. Uh, and uh, one of their sales guys just called me out of the blue and um, uh, told me that they had an interesting transactional data set that was going to help me predict some of those shorter term inflections in operating performance of my coverage universe uh, and help me avoid some of the you know, mistakes uh, that I had been making uh, previously and perhaps help me to find some new opportunities that I just wasn't aware of uh, without that, that resource.
0: I think you've just given hope to salespeople all over all over the world, all over America. <laughs> that um that that it works sometimes.
1: Sometimes it does if you if yeah. you if you come with the right uh, attitude and the right pitch. And and of course with the right back tests.
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: Gotta have the data.
0: Um and so, uh they were they were selling you and so was it immediate, like did they just was it a was it kind of scales from the eyes moment? Was suddenly you were like, Oh my god. And did you did you and did you get the feeling that everyone else had been using this and you were late or did you feel early like what was the how did that how did you kind of become accustomed to it
1: well i wish it was that dramatic i i I suppose i'd be overstating the case if i said i wasn't aware of some of the data products that were becoming available in the Mm -hmm. space and prior summer uh before joining antique i'd actually spent uh some time assembling my own uh database of um building permits um uh, in order to project the installation of uh, photovoltaic panels on, 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 on domestic rooftops. So I'd already gotten a little bit of a, a taste of the power of uh, cobbling together data sets from um, unique sources. Um, but when uh, this particular uh, salesperson reached out to me, who, by the way, is still uh, you know, a great friend of mine and, and still involved in the industry, um, I... I I got the distinct feeling that this was uh, really an emerging space um where we were by no means the first but uh, uh you know certainly uh certainly still felt very much like its early innings.
0: Did you feel that in those early days of alternative data did you feel that if you used the right data set then it was easy <laughs> like was it was it was it easy kind of thinking kind of then compared to now?
1: Uh absolutely. Um, the, the reason I got very excited about the potential and the opportunity was because, for a period of a couple of years, uh, from you know when I uh, first came across the alternative data world to when I ended up actually leaving Utica and starting Chimera, um, there was a, a moment in time where just having access to some transactional data sets felt like, frankly, a license to print money.
0: So that, and that was and that was literally back then. That was literally kind of a cross across stocks or was it like if you you had to get to know a a, a company extremely well and then bring the alternative data in or was it just the data set was like a bazooka and you could fire it across the market
1: well it's hard for me to comment about spaces that um, i don't have a lot of experience with but certainly within the consumer space where there is uh, an incredible amount of what i would call uh, digital footprints being increasingly left by consumers uh, across all of the uh, economic activity that they're engaged in Uh, there was uh, a way to get an angle on practically any consumer-driven stock. Uh, That didn't necessarily come from a single uh, data set um, and very much the process of broadening and deepening the alternative data ensemble that uh, we utilize uh, continues. But uh, for a period of time, it it was just a matter of uh, the data not having yet been distributed into enough hands where you are in real time tracking the most important KPIs uh, for a, a large number of companies, and you could just sort of spot inflections and dislocations uh, on a day-by-day, week-by-week basis, and uh, they used to, you know, work out a pretty large percentage of the time.
0: Mm. And when you're thinking about those those early days, are there was there were there are there immediate data types that spring to mind in terms of, you know, that was the game back then? Was it credit card transactions or, you know, was there, or was there were, there, were there any, any moments where a new type of alternative data set came out and it just changed the game?
1: It's no big surprise. Anybody I think that listens to your podcast will, will know that credit card data has probably been, you know, uh, one of the single uh, biggest and easiest to use types of uh, alternative data uh, products. And that was certainly, uh, you know, where I got started myself uh, and I would say the past five years, really five to seven years have, have been a process of uh, broadening and deepening the ensemble. Uh, and there have been you know, lots of milestones uh, along the way where we've been able to, I think, get an incremental uh, level of uh, conviction or be able to trade additional securities as we've been able to layer on additional data sources and uh, methods of uh, analysis. So it's generally been
0: small steps rather than rather than
1: any major ones. Well, some some of the steps have felt relatively major. Um, you know, certainly, I think uh, you know when when we started being able to do a little bit more with figuring out not only what's going on with top line and sales, but also with margins. That that certainly felt like you know perhaps uh, not the same level of game changer as the beginning, but uh, you know it felt like we were starting to get a sense for the other half of the story.
0: And so, for that, then it's when you started looking at the costs of well, as well for companies. And so, you were starting to look at um, how much Chipotle paid for the, you know, for the for the whatever they call the um, tortillas, and um, and how much they paid their staff and things like that. So it was the ways that you were not just looking at the sales, which you could get from credit card transactions, but also the inputs, and then you could start working out the margins. Is that the kind of idea?
1: Well, you know, I actually think uh the inputs for business like Chipotle are important, but um you know i uh, I think that there were ways of tracking that before alternative data really came to the scene. I'm talking more about retail businesses and e commerce businesses where tracking uh promotionality uh uh discounting and advertising spend are important parts of the cost bar, yeah,
0: okay. That feels quite recent, or am I? I think I'm probably slow. Is <laughs> that? Are you talking? Are we still talking? Kind of sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, or are we talking twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two?
1: Well, we're talking about really uh, a process from then until now, and a process that still continues because there is no that I'm aware of, uh, and and you know if if there were, I, I bet you they'd be on your podcast. There is no, um, uh, you know, there's no earnest research uh, or consumer edge of margins. Uh, so it's uh, it's something you still have to kind of. Invest into and cobble together yourself. Yeah, you got, you got to do the hard work. Um,
0: jolly good. So you, you're you, you've kind of um, well, we have uh, preshadowed it. But so um, you, you found you leave Attica and you found uh, Chimera in May 2017. How does that come about? Did you have a kind of vision? Did
1: you have a, a reason why Chimera was needed? Well, I felt like this alternative data world, which even at that time. I kept hearing was, oh, you know, it's, it's distributed, it's commoditized, uh, which did not really jibe with my personal experience uh, in, in, in terms of utilizing it. It still felt like there was a lot of juice left to squeeze. So I felt like people were misunderstanding the power and the potential of the space. Um, I developed a conviction that, uh, you know, alternative data is not uh, just one data set or one type of data, that it was not a one-shot deal. It really felt like is a generational change in terms of the way that investment research, first in consumer and then perhaps in other spaces, uh, is going to be done uh, in terms of moving away from being very people-centric uh, into being a lot more data-centric. And it became clear to me that incumbent managers were uh, reluctant, um, uh, for I think understandable reasons, to fully commit and adapt to you know this this new style of, of research. Uh, and uh, that felt like a multi-decade opportunity. Uh, so I just really had a lot of conviction that I had to try to do my best to seize it. Are
0: the understandable reasons that you're hinting at, things like the fact that you know they've the the techniques that have worked uh, all their careers have have been perfectly good. And actually, the 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 it's quite a big undertaking to suddenly learn Python if you've been a portfolio manager for for thirty years and you've been you know looking at balance sheets. Then then um you know. Becoming a data person is not something you can necessarily do overnight. So you, the temptation is to stick to the old ways.
1: Well, there's a lot of temptation to speak to the to the, sort of, the, the, I'm sorry, to stick to the old ways uh, that are unrelated to how hard it is to learn Python. I, I'll admit that I I never learned how to do that myself. Fortunately, we have uh, a team of bright people that, that can do that. And I assume the same is true of uh, any other asset manager. Uh, but it's really more around... Uh, you know, you're sort of stuck between a hammer and anvil. On the one hand, in order to fully utilize alternative data, uh, I believe you have to change your investment process uh, and flip it on its head. Instead of being theme and thesis driven, we've structured uh, our company and process to be uh, data driven and we use alternative data exclusively uh, for screening. And we don't even look at any stocks or ideas that aren't supported by our, our ensemble. I think you also have to, you're sort of stuck Uh, with uh, legacy processes, procedures, uh, and uh, employees and structures that are tailored to support a different kind of process. Uh, You you need to uh, not only change your process around, but structure your entire organization to be data-proficient and data-driven. And finally, even if you do all that, and even if you get comfortable with a fundamentally- different style of investing that's, uh, you know, different from the way you've been doing it for 10 or 20 years, uh, you also have your LPs to worry about. Uh, and LPs are frequently worried about what they perceive to be style drift. Uh, it's funny, LPs are scared when investment managers quote-unquote innovate, uh, because, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's hard to underwrite a new process. So a lot of managers, frankly, feel like uh, changing their organization and investment process would be, uh, you know, an investment relations risk
0: okay, um, so taking those one at a time, the first one was um that you're changing it so perhaps where the old way was to have an idea and then perhaps go if you're feeling alternative data minded go and find the data which would prove or disprove your thesis, but your new way is look in the data and see if there is uh see what see what it's got essentially go data first and say what stories are there in this data, and so the data leads you my my question about that would be. Um if we are in a world now where actually and and we're kind of it I've heard elsewhere that now in 2022 it's about really getting to know the company and really thinking about the right questions to ask the data, um, that feels more thematic, uh, in terms of it's 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 looking at the company first and then and then trying to yeah, that, that it's just it's 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 the opposite of what I've what I've what I've probably the one person i've i've heard that from so I'm just intrigued by um how do you know what to look for in the data
1: well I don't mean to suggest that the that the sort of traditional process of coming up with an idea and then using data as a support will ever truly go away and in fact uh, you know perhaps some years down the line we're going to entirely revert back to that process uh, I think we're at an interesting point in time where uh, certain data sets are still not distributed to the point where uh where it's where it's impossible to derive an edge from simply seeing an inflection or dislocation uh, in a a data source. Uh, So I would say, I'm not trying to make the case that everyone uh, should switch to a much more data-driven screening process. I I would just say that the opportunity for some people to do it exists, and uh, we are the vanguard of uh, making sure that uh, additional data sets are incorporated uh, into, um, into security prices faster.
0: Does the fact uh, a data first approach does that suggest more potential for automation in the in the data screening process? Because you're you're kind of the data pres- presumably potentially these things might be uh, able to be thrown out by the numbers perhaps more than you know uh, a, a, a cunning analyst with a with a deep knowledge of such and such company.
1: The initial stages of the screening process, at least from our experience, have absolutely been a story of increasing automation. So, you know, the past five years have been spent on not only discovering uh, new data sources, but integrating them into our existing ensemble, making them play nicely in the sandbox with each other, and then finding the right things to automatically correlate them to, and finding faster and faster ways to clean, normalize data, such that by the time a particular signal or inflection even gets to the eyes of a fundamental analyst, um, is, there's a much greater likelihood that it's not some sort of false signal. How
0: much of your problem is data cleaning?
1: Well, It's hard to put a percentage on it. It's, uh, it's certainly a important aspect uh, of what we do. And uh, I would say uh, it kind of depends on where we are in the process of getting to grips with a new data source. Uh, if we've just uh, started integrating something that's kind of messy and has a lot of normalization uh, and tagging issues, uh, we might be spending an awful lot of time on data cleaning. Uh, but uh, we, we find that after that process is uh, is complete, uh, the load on that individual data source uh, becomes a lot less because you've kind of solved a lot of the uh, initial problems.
0: Do you get better at uh, cleaning the next one as well?
1: Well, I would say uh, absolutely yes, uh, because a lot of the same sort of uh, problems crop up uh, repeatedly and some of the same techniques for fixing them are, are applicable, and I would actually say that that question goes to an even deeper uh, aspect of alternative data, which is we find sort of across the board, the more time you invest working with alternative data sources, uh, the more incremental opportunity you have to derive extra edge from incremental additional data sources that perhaps other people would uh, entirely disregard uh, as being either too difficult to work with or, or not individually uh, worth anything. Uh, it's the process of getting better at working with the data and having an existing ensemble that opens up more opportunities uh, to continue to sort of build on that advantage. Hmm.
0: Um, there's an example, fintechs, essentially, and a, a lot of the problem that the banks have is this kind of archaic 1960s design code, which means that um, if you start a bank today, even though you, you're missing some of the benefits of, of you know, size and, and um, establishedness, um you could be so much more nimble and 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 potentially serve the customer much better. Is there the same aspect with starting a new hedge fund? You can you can kind of not make the the, the old mistakes. You can you can uh, you can learn from the old mistakes, and so you can create a new fund which is perfectly suited to the environment, which is different to perhaps the ones
1: that the old one was was created in. Well, you know, I, I certainly think that uh, uh, the ability to start with a fresh blank slate. Uh, is a wonderful opportunity to structure uh, your organization in order to take advantage of the new opportunities that alternative data is making available. But I wouldn't necessarily call the uh, old decisions mistakes. I'm sure they were right at the time that they were made. It's just that you know now, several decades down the line, they trap uh, legacy managers in a certain amount of path dependency where it just becomes a little bit more difficult to take advantage of this new paradigm, but uh, not necessarily mistakes uh, on their part. Yeah,
0: no, I, and it, and they weren't for the, for the big banks as well, you know, in the sixties, that was the cutting edge, whatever, whatever the code is. So it's, but it's a kind of, it's not mistakes, but sometimes it's entanglements from the past, which when the world changes, then it can be hard to shed them and, 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 and build your company in the, in the, to, 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 reflect there, it.
1: There's stickiness, there's friction, uh, and, uh, in change comes opportunity. True. True.
0: So Chimera, um, you've been going since May 2017. Um, what does Chimera look like now? Any kind of idea of size? I don't know employees or, or size or anything.
1: Well, look, you know, uh, we are by no means one of the you know uh, largest players in the space. Uh, but uh, you know, when we started, it wasn't really so much um, a organization as felt like sort of a school project, uh, just uh, <laughs> me, myself, and I uh, in, in in my bedroom, fortunately, with the support of a number of different um, alternative data companies um, and managing mostly my own money because, you know, the, the process was unproven. Uh, a lot of people were telling me at the time that uh, what I was doing was, uh, you know, perhaps more like a gimmick uh, and, yeah. uh, and something that, um, you know, wouldn't scale uh, and then many cases people thought was already sort of commoditized. Uh, I think, you know, over the past five years, we've had some success and that's allowed us to grow. And at this point, we're managing over half a billion dollars and the team is now a team of 10 uh, and growing pretty uh, pretty quickly, um, which I think would have been you know quite difficult to do if, if in fact, we base our entire investment process around alternative data. Uh, if that had been commoditized five years ago, I, I, I'm not sure how the past five years would have happened. Mm. Wow.
0: It's a very, um, it's a, I d- I didn't know, actually, it's a very positive story. Um, it's very, uh, it's very, yeah, very, um, kind of heartwarming in a way, a bit Hollywood. <laughs> um, but, um, but so and so, now here we are, and you are um uh, you're much bigger and and uh, team of ten, and your focus is the consumer vertical um would you say within that you have you have a kind of niche within that, or are you are you the whole of consumer and what are you what are you seeing so we we kind of touched on the early days of 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 alternative data for you um how do you see alternative data today? as you say, it's changed in the last in the last five, six years? what's your what's your view on it
1: now? Well, I think there's a couple of questions there, so I'll try to address them in turn. Um, uh, we certainly aspire to uh, eventually be covering the entire consumer space, but uh, I think to do so would require a, a bigger organization than we are today, and we're we're taking steps. Uh, but uh, today I would say, you know, uh, a large percentage of what we do still falls into the traditional omnichannel retail and restaurant space. Uh, and uh, we are making steps in order to become a, uh, a more diversified um, uh, strategy a- across the rest of the uh, consumer ecosystem. But as you can imagine, it's a process and requires a lot of investment in both data and, and people, which we're currently making. With respect to what we're seeing in the space, uh, with respect to alternative data, Uh, in in consumer and retail, uh, you know, we're seeing what I think a lot of people were were saying five years ago, which is the availability of some of the less complex data sets like credit card data uh, and and their distribution uh, is now pretty high, uh, which wasn't the case five, six, seven years ago. Uh, So some of the really low hanging fruit that we had the advantage to participate in uh, in the early days uh, isn't there anymore. And, uh, you know, the game has now become much more about uh, doing deeper work uh, in, in some of the well-distributed data sets uh, and then making progress on integrating more complex uh, data sets that perhaps have uh, less individual signal, cleaner, less clean backtests tests into your data ensemble and finding ways to triangulate across multiple data sets in order to continue to be able to be on the, on the cutting edge of, uh, of prediction. Um, and, uh, I think, you know, to the extent that we've been able to continue to have success, it's because we've been able to stay a little bit ahead of the commoditization curve. So you had
0: the, you had the advantage of being, um, early or definitely early in terms of being entirely uh, creating a fund kind of really focused on alternative data. So you could really kind of have a laser laser sharp, um, direction. Um, uh, do you know how you've managed to remain so competitive i mean you're you've been a you've been a small team on a relative basis um do you have an idea of how you've how you've managed to
1: stay ahead of the game uh i i have a guess uh which is one picking the right horse and counting on the fact that uh there is a Lag in terms of how quickly new signals become available and become widely distributed enough in order to be fully commoditized Uh, and then being really focused on a small set of uh, of securities, uh, wherein uh, it's really the marriage of alternative data and fundamental understanding of, uh, of the securities that allows you to come up with powerful theses. Um, so I would say, you know, there's certainly funds larger than us that have larger teams looking at a lot of these data sources, and our aim isn't to compete with them across the board. It's it's to be much more laser focused on a on a smaller universe, and then hopefully grow incrementally into adjacencies over time.
0: This is that was my next question. Is that actually so? Alternative data, creating an alternative, uh, creating a fund which is really focused on alternative data, which is uh, consumer focused absolutely made sense in 2017, because that's really where alternative data was coming from, as I understand this. And that, that was the sector where alternative data was having getting the most traction. But as alternative data kind of opens up um, and more, you know, whatever, let's say healthcare um, data sets are now coming online in some in some old investment banks in the 90s, I don't, in the noughties, I don't know if they still do, but consumer leisure and healthcare used to go together. Um could you, uh, are you, do you do you see yourself following the alternative data sets in that or do you uh, as a as a as a, um, a consumer guy of uh, of have many years, 15 years, do you see yourself as
1: as sticking to your knitting? I think it'd be very difficult for me personally to uh, lead an investment process in healthcare or industrials or a couple of these other places where uh, data products are becoming available just because I don't really understand uh, those spaces and verticals. so I suspect for us, Uh, it's going to be a process of uh, not just finding the data, but also hiring the right uh, fundamental talent in order to uh, pursue those further afield verticals. Uh, But for the time being, there are adjacencies for us in particular that, uh, you know, we're not pursuing that are are a lot closer to home. And you you mentioned leisure. So gaming, leisure, lodging is a space that uh, I think is, now in process of, of, of becoming more driven by uh, alternative data uh, research uh, as well as uh, a, a few additional tech names uh, where data didn't really exist before, but some sources are becoming available. So I think for us in particular, those are the next two areas of focus, mm. which isn't uh, to say that other people shouldn't be doing the same in, in some of those other verticals where we, we happen to just not have the right expertise. For sure. Um,
0: and so... Uh, Slight change of tact is that you are um you've been building up Chimera for for five years now. Um and uh so in that time, um you're now you're now ten people. What was the um what did you what was the how did you go about hiring people? How did you how has that process happened? Of it started off just you and your in your shed. <laughs> how is it um how how has it grown? How is it um how is it built? And what was the what was the biggest challenges and, and any uh, the kind of biggest successes?
1: Well, you know, it's it's actually been a process of, uh, uh, unfortunately, quite a bit of luck. Uh, in order to start a fund heavily uh, data-driven, you need to have a very uh, strong analytical capability. And uh, I, I had no, that was the second person I needed to bring on board, a real uh, CTO. Uh, but unfortunately, I, I wasn't at that time able to, pay a competitive salary to uh, a competent person. And I was just so fortunate that that my brother happened to be exactly the kind of technical genius that we needed. Uh, So he was the second member of the firm uh, that's and, forward planning Dave. the real the, the real greats. they start training their siblings
0: from an early age it, it's uh,
1: it's not it's not so much uh, planning it was just an, in a sense dumb luck it had always been our dream to work together and we figured it would never happen just because we operated in such different fields but you know fate had uh other plans so so that was a really uh pivotal moment for for us uh and then the second really pivotal moment was when i uh, became acquainted with our other partner uh, anish provoker um, who is now, uh, you know, I really consider as a, as the co-leader of the firm. Uh, he caught a presentation uh, that I did at actually at a 1010 Data Insights Conference and uh, mm-hmm. about alternative data-driven investing. He had a very similar idea maybe a year after I did. And uh, over time, we began to understand that we had the same vision. Uh, so we decided uh, that it made a lot more sense to uh, join forces rather than to compete against each other. So, so the three founding members of the firm, I would say, came together under very fortuitous circumstances and uh, through, through no plan or magic of my own.
0: So um, here we are. Um, in uh, here we are. You've uh, you are an established an established fund, established player in the alternative data space.
1: Um, As- with, with, we're, we're, we're a fund with aspirations to be called established
0: Uh, well i don't know i I, you you seem to come up a lot i find so um uh, i would say you're established in in the in the in the circles that matter within the space um who would you like to hear from right now would if if somebody is an alternative data provider with a data set is there a particular kind of data set that you particularly want to hear from do you want to hear from absolutely everyone have you heard from most people already where where do you what who would you like to hear from
1: well, you know, we, we go to Battlefin. We make it known that we're interested in new data sets. So, uh, I, you know, I, I do receive an awful lot of uh, inbounds uh, and uh, uh, we're, we're typically on the friendlier side of evaluating those inbounds. So I do feel like we've spoken with uh, a, a large majority of the people that are making themselves known uh, in the space. Uh, with respect to what we are interested in uh, today is uh, continuing to deepen our work in uh in understanding what's happening with pricing and promotions in order to continue to make progress on forecasting and understanding margins, uh, which we still feel like is, is, is uh, all the data is out there. Uh, a lot of the companies have become uh, omni-channel and they've sort of synchronized their pricing and discounting between in-store uh, and online. So the data is there. It's just, uh, it's messy. It's difficult to scrape. Um, so we're, we're very much interested in continuing to work with, uh, partners that will help us to deepen our expertise in in, in, in pricing and margins. We also think that um, geolocation data is coming into its own. It's been uh, something that's been promising for seven years, but uh, uh, hasn't uh, been you know fully monetized yet. So we're we're continuing to be interested in, in geolocation data as well. Uh, we're interested in data in uh, adjacencies to consumer uh, uh, to sorry to to retail and restaurants. So. Uh, Internet companies and uh, uh, gaming leisure lodging uh, type companies. Mm -hmm. And we're also interested in exploring when the moment is right uh, to look outside of the United States um, in Europe and, and Asia in particular. Uh, so we've we've been having some conversations with emerging alternative data providers and uh, in those markets, and uh, we continue to be interested.
0: Okay, so you're interested in hearing potentially from alternative data providers. Um, any other potential audiences you'd like to hear from?
1: Well, look, as we grow this firm, our, our vision is to be able to uh, monetize alternative data sort of uh, across the consumer landscape. And as I alluded to earlier, we are looking for... Um, fundamental analyst and portfolio manager talent across the gaming leisure lodging and consumer TMT spaces. So uh, if there are people out there who uh, have experience in those spaces and are interested in uh, alternative data-driven investing, I, I think that now would be a pretty good time to reach out. Brilliant, Daniel. Thank you so much. That
0: was uh, that was a really interesting um, rundown and a really inter- interesting introduction of your background and Chimera. So, um, so thanks so much. And um, and and here's to, I don't know, how many do you want to be? A hundred employees in five years, or or what's, what? It, uh, as many as you would like.
1: Uh, as many uh, as it takes for us to continue doing what we're doing. So, um, how about we'll say that. And uh, thank you as well. Thank you for your time. And thank you for uh, bringing this community together and creating this platform for people to uh, hear more about it. Absolute pleasure. Thank you, Daniel.